0: John 21. This is a really important Bible story, um, as if the others aren't. I'm not being in that way. I mean it in the sense. I I do feel particularly. It's really important for us uh, today that we grasp this. But it is it is a very very important story for the sheer the sheer tender compassion of Jesus that we see in it. speaks right to the heart of our need so let's be really engaged with this we're going to read it's a fairly long story but it's uh it is just so so tender that uh, you know i trust that it will be a, um that, that as you as, as we read it, it, it you'll just be you, gripped and the, the, the wonderful thing about reading obviously is that when, we, when the words come out, we, these mental images form in our minds, we picture ourselves there. So it helps you to close your eyes, to imagine being there. Please do that. Let's really let ourselves be immersed in this. So John 21 verse 1, we're going to read to verse 1, verse 1 to verse 19. After this, um, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, The sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him. No, he said to them, cast it the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land of About 100 yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. It's obviously a counter in the group. Uh, And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter. Now at this point they're walking. You'll find that out at the end, but they're walking now. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him. Sorry, I should have done. Um, I should have finished it on verse 22. That's my fault. That won't come up. I'll read. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him, and had said, Lord, who is it who's going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Father, thank you for this story, this record it's detail. Thank you for the detail. Thank you, Lord, that you don't deal with us in generalities. You give us detail. And it is so apparent in this story. And I do ask specifically, Lord, that by your spirit, in a very detailed way, I want to pray that you would touch people. You administer in a very, very detailed way that you would apply this message to people's hearts way beyond what could happen naturally through one person talking about one story. You know the heart of everyone in the room, Lord. You know the deepest heart. You know the motive of the heart better than we do ourselves. So I want to pray and ask, Lord, that you would mercifully do a very detailed thing in every heart in this room. Amen. So, um, this for me has been an incredibly uh, helpful story personally. There have been a number of times where I've been uh, crippled by failure. Crippled by personal failure as a Christian. Um, and, uh, this is, this is really what's going on here with Peter. And so it's been a story that God has really used to minister because I think that, um, if you, if you become a Christian, then I think we're all clear and we're all pretty clear on the fact that Jesus washes away our past sins, right? I think we're all clear on that. If you're not clear on that, you've got to really get clear on that. That the promise of the gospel is that when we come to Jesus, our, our past in terms of the sins are wiped away. The Bible says that God separates uh, us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. Very dramatic language to talk about the fact God says, I will remember their sins no more. It's God's God makes a decision. He will not bring them up anymore. Right. It's the gospel. However, I think then once we have become Christians and we are filled with the Holy Spirit and we've been given power to live righteously. Then when we make a mistake. It can be harder in our minds. To find forgiveness from God. Does that make sense? Because it's like, well, you ex- I should ex- expect more of me now. I didn't know any better than now I do. I didn't love Jesus. Then now I do. I didn't have the Holy Spirit. Then now I do. You know, you think, ah. Oh, and it can cripple you, I think, potentially in a way that's different from sins that happened before you know Jesus. So let's get into this story and we'll see what the Lord does um, to help us. Um, now, why were they going fishing? They'd either given up because it's kind of like many of them. Well, we know definitely that Peter, James and John were fishermen before. So it's, a kind, of, it's kind of a picture of them going back to, what, to to their old life. It's like, what's the point going back? Saying that Jesus has appeared to them um, More than once already, there is a sense that this thing isn't over. Uh, It does feel like, even though they haven't grasped it in detail, it does feel like this. This, oh, he is risen from the dead, so maybe they're not giving up. Maybe they are killing time. Maybe they just don't know what to do. Peter, particularly. Peter, particularly. Because I think Pete, if I was Peter at this point, I would realize, okay, there have, been visit, there have been visits by Jesus. And he says some really lovely things about over all of us. But I'm the guy who denied him. Right? So I kind of feel like I'm still, yeah, great. In, in the Christian group, I'm hearing the blessings. But what does it mean for me? Do you see the difference? I think that I, think that I, you know, I can stand here and praise the Lord with the rest of you. And together there's a sense of we're the people of God and we rejoice in the gospel. But what does that mean tomorrow when I'm by myself? It can be a bit different. Does that make sense? And so I wonder if, you know, there's a kind of who who, who knows. All I would say is this on the road to discipleship. There can be these seasons where you don't really know what to do. I think that's honest. You just don't know, Is it? should I be seeking God, should I just be kind of waiting, should I be there? De- and, and I think in those seasons you can just go back to what you know. They know how to fish. It's better than sitting around. We'll go and do some fishing. Like, yeah, we'll do some fishing. <laughs> what else can we do? We don't know what to do. Jesus said go to Galilee, he's going to appear. We're in Galilee, he's not appeared. Let's go fishing. That's what we used to do. It's very human, it's very, it's very natural and I, I actually I find great comfort in that. Because I think you know, actually, a lot of life is quite like that. You think, well, okay, I'll uh, on this thing, Lord, I'll, I'll pray some more. I don't really know whether I, if, whether I should be praying more or just waiting and resting. I don't know. You know? Do you, you know? Sometimes you don't know. You, you do. Well, maybe you do. I don't. Yeah, regularly I'll be like, okay, well, you know, I don't know everything. I don't, you know, I'm not as in step with the spirit on everything as I'd like to be. And I think here it's just very, very uh, human. So they haven't gone back to sin, but they've just gone back to stuff. Fishing. Because, well, what else are we going to do? We don't know what to do. I think oh, i find some comfort in that. But for particularly Peter. You see, Peter was absolutely devoted to Jesus. Absolutely. He's always the first, isn't he, to get out the boat, to to say, I'm going to die for you. He's always the first because he loves Jesus. And yet in Jesus's darkest hour, he really blew it. In case you don't know the story, when Jesus was arrested before his crucifixion, Peter denied publicly that he knew him three times out of fear. So here's a man of destiny. He's a man that Jesus seems to have marked out for leadership. He's a man who lives with a heart for Jesus and a sense of destiny. And he's utterly blown it. Um, worse than all of them. And that's what he's living with. Now let's pause it there. Because it may not be exactly the same for you. But I do want to ask you. Is, this, is there something in your heart, in your mind, in your past, in your present? Or is there something say so particularly in your past, which has the power to trip you up, right? It's kind of like you feel like you can—you're just getting going, but then you're reminded of that—that that decision you made, that thing you didn't do, whatever it is—and it—and it has the power somehow to cripple you. Because that's exactly where Peter's at. There's no two ways about it. We can tell by what happens. That's exactly where Peter. Was that? Was there a f- was there a future in God for him? Yeah, you knew he was part of the disciples, and but the things that Jesus had put in his heart were they still were they still on <laughs> or not? Peter's pride was damaged as well. Peter's Peter was um, you know when you blow it and it surprises you. You ever done that? You surprise yourself with what you do. You ever had that? Because Peter said, you know all the others, all the others might leave you, Lord. I will go with you to the death he 's the one who, who was then he performed the worst, he said he was going to be the best, he performed the worst, um, so his pride has been hugely damaged by this. when you expect something of yourself and you don 't live up to it can be hugely i think for actually numbers of disciples that can they just get stuck there they, 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 they stop on the journey of maturity because it 's like ah I am utterly disappointed with myself and totally despondent with myself. Do you know what? Jesus wasn't surprised that Peter blew it. Jesus predicted it. Jesus didn't have any illusions about Peter that he had about himself. Jesus said, actually, no, before the cock uh, crows three times, you would have denied me. So here's the interesting thing is that we often have this understanding of ourselves, this sense of what I am, what, what I'll do, what I'll be. And Jesus is going, Nah. And we go yeah, and he says no. That's not where you're at right now. Not that he's not that he's a put, someone who puts people down or squashes things, but that here's the thing. But that where those things come out of pride, he's like that's not where we're going here. He is the giver of dreams. Yes. He is the Fulfiller of destinies. He's the promise maker and the promise keeper. Yes. But there's a certain way, and it's the way of faith and by the Holy Spirit. It's not the way of pride. It isn't. And sometimes we find it hard to discern. We don't know the difference. And I would say particularly when you're younger and particularly when you're in the city and particularly when you're in a rich country. So we tick all the boxes. Well, I've probably ticked two now. Most of you tick three. Yeah. You are much more vulnerable to pride than you realise. And when something happens which damages your pride, it can really massively affect you. And I will say this and lovingly, the gospel will damage your pride. The gospel will. And a, a church that is committed to the gospel will damage your pride. If you're part of a church that is committed to the gospel, being part of that church life will damage your pride at some point. Either people won't think you're as amazing as you are. Or won't do things exactly how you want them done or when? And, and, and what happens then? That's the question. The question isn't, will, you, or will your pride not be damaged? Of course it will. But what happens then? Where do, where do we go? What do we do? Well, how do we handle that? It's so important. It's ever so important because I absolutely believe that God wants to raise us higher than we would ever raise ourselves. I really do. He has such, such plans for his people. It's extraordinary. Seated with Christ. You know, I mean, you know, really, you know, the Bible says that we would judge angels in the future age. I believe the Lord wants to exalt his people in extraordinary ways. But the way it works is you humble yourself under his mighty hand. And at the proper time, he exalts you. And if we try to shortcut that by exalting ourselves, it doesn't go well. And it doesn't mean we have to be passive, but it just means that spirit is that we are secure in him. His ways, His timing, and it makes for, a, makes for a, a, a much a much surer path. But anyway, His pride is damaged. Jesus is not surprised at His failure. So let's let's. So they're in the boat. That's where at, That's the context. And then the fish. The fish miracle. Suddenly, suddenly there's this strange voice. It's going go on the other side. Fish. Now, now, why does John, how does John know it's the Lord? Well, if you if you read through the Gospels, you'll see there was another incident right at the start where Jesus said exactly the same thing. And they caught a miraculous catch of fish. Jesus is wanting to take them back to that moment. Because if you read the account, I'm pretty sure it's at the start of Luke. You'll see what happens is that in that account, they, 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 they've been out all night again, caught nothing. Jesus says Jesus uses the boat while he's because the, the crowds are so many. He uses the boat to, um, um, so that he can teach in it without getting crushed. Then there's a kind of thank you. He says, go and put the nets out. You know, And they do. And they catch. They can't all. They have to get friends to help them. And then it's in a really intriguing moment where they come back. Peter gets out of the boat and he falls down at his, at, his, at his feet. And he says to Jesus, he says, Peter, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Jesus hasn't even said, you're a sinful man. He's just shown him this grace with this fish. And he, he, the, the grace, the, what the Bible says that God's kindness leads us to repentance, right? When God comes with such kindness, it highlights our unselfishness. It highlights, you know, the, the, those parts, those bits of us that are dark and all gnarled. It highlights them by his sheer grace and kindness. And so Peter's response from this catch of fish is, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. And then Jesus' response to him is, don't be afraid. I love it. Don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be catching men. You see, so in this moment with the fish, Peter's reminded that he's a sinful man. As time's gone on following Jesus, he's kind of got this big view of himself. He's going to lead with the disciples. He's going to lay down his life for Jesus. But it takes him back to that moment where he remembers where Jesus first met him and what he realized when he first met Jesus, that he was a broken, sinful man. And that Jesus said, don't be scared. I'm going to take you into my life. And so he's setting up this scene, and suddenly, and I think, Pete, I think that Peter's, I mean, it's, so, it's a wonderful picture of someone putting clothes on to jump into the water. It's normally the opposite. But he just, it's, it's I believe it's, it's that moment, he remembers the story where it happened the first time, and the grace that he experienced. And when you get near grace, do you know what? There's something intuitive that happens where you want to be with God. When you don't understand grace, something intuitive that happens where you want to be in, away from God. Because you're just scared. But when you realize his grace, something ha- you, 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 you're in, your, your intuition is to jump out of the boat, as illogical as it is, and get to him. Because you remember, ah, this one knows me through and through and loves me. Wow. To be known and loved is an incredible thing. To be known is just a scary thing. Somebody just knows you. That's just plain scary. Because it's like, all oh, all oh, the, oh, if, if they know you through and through. That's just terrifying. Am I right? Yeah, <laughs> right, yeah that's why marriage and things like that and really close friendships can be scary. Because it's like, uh-oh. You know, just being known is scary. Just being loved leaves you insecure because you think, yeah, but you don't know me. Yeah. You might love me, but you wait. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we get yeah, we get close. This isn't going to last long. To be known and then loved—that is glorious. That is like whoa, known, fully known, yes, and then loved. That's ex- that is extraordinary. That's the gospel. And so he jumps out of the boat to get close to Jesus. You see, this the, there's a word that's used in the Bible. Um, the word is. Um, P- parisio, it, and and it's a Greek word in the New Testament, it's translated into different words in English, but it's the same word used. So it's either, sometimes it's abounding, sometimes it's lavish, and it's used about grace. And, and what it means is this, it means unnecessary. It means that God's grace to us in Jesus is unnecessary. That he's done a lot more than simply do what needed to be done to straighten things out. Yeah? You know when you know you ought to do something and you do it, but you don't really want to do it? yeah so you just do it, you just do it to the line, you know you think well i 've done it yeah i 've done it you can 't say i haven 't done it, but everything in your heart is like i didn 't want to do that. yeah, I was preaching this morning this I used when we was growing up. Um, if I ever asked my sister for a bit of a chocolate bar she 'd know what well, she ought to really you know. not it 's not, it's good to share, but she would so she would get the the snickers and she'd get but she'd put her thumb so near the end of it. That you could literally just sort of scrape a tiny bit of chocolate off the end. Yeah, because otherwise you are end up biting a thumb and that wouldn't be right. So she just put her thumb right in it, so you can only get a tiny bit. What is that? That's what I've done it. And I think sometimes people think God's heart's like that. but well, he's done it, you know, you sinners, I've given Jesus. The Bible says that it's, un- it's been unnecessary. The grace is shown, it's way beyond what was needed to sort us out. It, 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 you don't need to adopt someone into your family to to let them off a life sentence in prison, do you? You can just let them off. But he's adopted into his family instead, and he's and he's not. And you don't have to open your heart to someone in order not to punish them. You can just say, okay, fine. But he's opened his heart to us and and, not, and brought us into his very life, brought into the life into the community of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I mean, you think if anything's going to ruin that, it's me. Do you know what I mean? If anything's gonna ruin the community of the Trinity, yep, that's, I'm that guy. Do you know, why would you invite me into that? That is perfect. That is so holy. That is, that is pure relationship. That is pure knowing and loving from eternity. And he invites his people into that. It's totally, it's it's superfluous, it's unnecessary. Why, what what is that? That's the heart, the love and the grace of God. Peter touches it again and he's in the water like a shot. And when you see it, when you get it, you want to be with God. You want to be with God. And that is a world away from making yourself pray. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) It's a world away from a different thing. So, that's what grace does. But So he's in there, right? And then, then they, they arrive and there's this fire that's been made. Now if you've been reading 40 Days with Jesus, you'll remember there's a really interesting point that there's only twice in the whole New Testament this, this, this phrase is used for a fire and the other time is, is when Peter's round the fire denying Jesus. It's the only other time in the New Testament the word is used. So the last, now what is your most sensitive sense for memory? Smell. And tell me one thing that we all know about bonfires. You smell your clothes the next day. Your hair the next day, if you've got any. The smell. So Peter arrives on a beach and it's suddenly, where is he? He's back somewhere else, isn't he? I would imagine nausea at that point. I if it's me, nausea at that point. I'm like, oh, I've just run to Jesus and now mm, oh, I'm face to face with the one that I denied. This is a difficult moment. And yet Jesus says, let's start with breakfast. See, in that culture, you eat with someone, it's, you're saying, I accept you. That's what it is. You don't eat with any old person. You eat with someone, you're saying, I accept you. Jesus said, we'll start with breakfast. Because there's about to be a difficult conversation. But it starts with, I accept you. It's the grace of God. And when you know you're accepted, then you can have a difficult conversation with Jesus. If you don't, then you're not gonna, you, you will not be interested in that conversation. <laughs> you won't be interested in it. Because it will just spell out rejection for you. You'll think, what's the point? But when you know, no, I accept you, then the conversation can happen. So Jesus says, we're going back there now. We're going to go back to the other night. But we're going to go back as friends. We're gonna go back as friends. So they go on this walk and the conversation happens. It can be it can be painful conversations like this with Jesus. It's obvious, isn't it, why Jesus asks him three times. Yeah? He denied him three times. That's why he asked him three times. That's why we're told the third time Peter was hurt. It's like why? Why have we got to do this? Why have we got to go there? <laughs> do you know what I mean? What? and Jesus says, we've got to go there because you need some healing. And if we don't go there, you're going to live with this thing. And I don't want you to live with that thing because I can heal and restore you from that. But we've got to go there. We've got to go there. We can't just be general about this. Let's talk about what happened. I want to know something, Peter. Here's what I want to know. Not why. I want to know, do you love me? That's what I want to know. Because it's clear that You love other things. It's clear there's some fear that actually even years later Peter hadn't grown out of. You see it in Galatians, Paul has to confront Peter to his face because that fear is still there, fear of what people are going to say. So the Bible is very realistic about the process of our maturing. It takes time. But Jesus, he he knows all that, but he just wants to know, do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, I love you. And every time Jesus says, Feed my sheep. He's saying, I'm recommissioning you. Those promises I made, yeah, they're still yours. They're still yours. You haven't lost them. Do you know that I I, I do believe that through willful disobedience, you can walk out of things. I, I, I do believe that. I believe you can walk out of stuff. By stubborn unbelief, you can walk out of things that God had for you. I believe the Bible teaches that, and it's true. I don't believe you can just lose anything. That's way too insecure. That, that paints a much more insecure picture of the gospel than the Bible does. Because why? Why would God entrust such promises to such weak people, if they, if, if through our weakness they could be lost? That's that isn't. That's just that. That doesn't add up. That's horrible. That's just like if if that's the case, I'm going to be living with constant anxiety, and Jesus is saying stop worrying. I mean, this gets bad, goes from bad to worse. You know what I mean? You're just getting traps and, and snares. It's horrible. You can't just lose stuff. If through your flaws, your, you know, your indwelling sin, if through your immaturity, you, you get it wrong, and then Jesus, Jesus wants to t- take you there, why? So you can really repent with him. And so you can really just do the business with them and say, yeah, and stop being so general. Because if you j- only operate in generalities, then the relationship becomes superficial. It becomes shallow. It's nonsense. It's just, it's just oh, bless the world, Lord. And it's nonsense. It just becomes, a, you know, when it becomes nonsense. You know that, Lord, i just bless you, Lord, for being the Lord. And I pray that you'd bless everything. Amen. I mean, it can degenerate to something as ridiculous as that. And he's like, I wanted a relationship. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. No, he's, you see, because he's, he's for real. And so if we'll let him be specific with us, and, 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 and we'll trust him with our hearts, I'll tell you what we'll do. He will heal. He will restore. He will recommission. He will fulfill all his promised. He will because he's faithful. He will because he's bought you. He will because nothing can separate you from his love. He will. Do you believe that? It's so important because if you believe it, then you'll say, do you know what, Jesus? I'm up for a conversation. I'm up for a conversation. And I will spell out, Lord, I will spell out the storyline in my head and how it goes and how it traps me every time. And I I will draw others in to that storyline so I can be helped by other members of your body, trustworthy people. And through that, I will experience genuine restoration and will no longer be... Uh, be able to be just smashed down at any minute because of that unresolved thing. Do you see this? So important. So, so important. And then there's just one final thing. (laughs) Jesus restores him, recommissions him and then Peter's classic, isn't he? Because remember Peter said, oh, even if everyone else then deserts you, I won't, Lord. He's kind of, he's kind of quite naturally, it seems, Peter's quite aware of where other people are at. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I mean, some people are more like that. Aren't we we're just aware. You know, I'm aware of where others are at and where where do I And so he he turns around on a walk with Jesus. He's just been restored and recommissioned, and he's like, "Oh, John's behind. You know, John's busy writing down his gospel about how he's the disciple Jesus loved. <laughs> you know, and uh, and he asks, "What about him? It's just so bizarre. It's like he's just had this amazing moment with God, and he's like, well, "What about him? <laughs> And who knows what he meant? Jesus says, mind your own business. What on earth has that got to do with anything? You follow me. (laughs) He didn't say what Peter said in response. He probably said nothing. (laughs) He's got put in his place. You know, there is a security in knowing that there is a race marked out for each one of us. And my business is to run it. And not worry about how much snazzier your race looks or doesn't look. Or how fast you are or not able to run compared to me. That's all looking over your shoulder. There's no need for it. Jesus says, don't worry about him. <laughs> you follow me. That's actually very releasing. That's, re- you know, that's releasing, isn't it? You think, okay, do you know what? By your grace, I can do that. But I get stressed when I start worrying about so-and-so. And so and so. If you feel that kind of person, some people I think are very prone to that. Can really, it can really hold you up. And Jesus says, no, 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 you follow me. Amen? Did that make sense? Do you feel able, as a result of that, during the rest of our time together, to be able to um, have a go for a walk with Jesus in that sense? Yeah? To be able to say, Lord, can we just talk about this? And you might want to draw one or two others in to help in that. Maybe you could do that during the bread and the wine, maybe just during a song. But, you know, I think it's important that we are that we are able to apply. You know, Jesus, says you're blessed if you do these things rather than just "Oh, It's great. You know, good. Nice idea. No, blessed if you do it. And um, let's 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 I think it's important that we do it. And, uh, and, and the fr- what will be the fruit? The fruit is, is that we become disciples who, yes, like any other disciple, we're all prone to, we're all vul- we've all got vulnerabilities. But there's not this Achilles heel. But Achilles heel is a saying which refers to this kind of inherent weakness that you've always got as a result of some mistake you've made. You do not need to live under that as a believer. Do you hear me? The gospel sets you free from that. It's not to say that sometimes there won't be consequences. It's not to say that sometimes, you know, it's not to say that you won't learn lessons, but it's to say that you will not be trapped and unable to move on because of it. The blood of Jesus will cancel out that kind of power. And so when the enemy comes and knocks on the door, you know, of your mind, just try and trap you again, you're able to say no. And it it felt like, you know, I'm winning. It's really, really important. So should we stand? Um, Maybe musicians could come and uh, help us. That's okay. Uh, Yeah, feel free to come to the space. Yeah. 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 Yes, yes. So, a couple of words coming, which I want us to be able to be aware of prophetic words. One is about potentially someone having a root of bitterness. The Bible talks about that. Hebrews 12, you'll find it, a root of bitterness. It's when something gets into your heart and it grows, and it, you've got to get it out by the root. Something, ha- something something's happened you've taken offense at. Yeah, You've taken offense, and it's either offended at God or at someone else. It's a root of bitterness. And the Bible says that if that grows up, it can defile many yeah so if that's you um please be very alert to that and um, the other thing was an illustration Davina reminded me of which we often use is that if you if you are if you if, if if you have like this thing like peter and it's not dealt with it's like trying to fight with one hand tied behind your back that's what it's like whereas once once you get this come once you're through on this it's not that you don't have to fight anymore but it's now do you know what i mean now you can really have a scrap. Yeah, you're now in a position to really get some knockout blows. So that's a great illustration to help. It doesn't mean I oh, now, just, you know, there will still be attempts to rob you of that, but now you can really fight. So, um, great. Let's just pray and uh, then we can respond to the Lord with the time that we have left. So, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for the gospel. We just love this story and how what a picture it is of the way you deal with us. And, and, and there, there sometimes is pain, but Lord, it's because you just really love us. And you really want us to walk with a genuinely light heart with you, and not be do- not be dogged. Thank you. We haven't got to have things biting at our heels the whole time. Or, or if we do, we can kick them off. And you you love us to be able to be free to kick them off. And so, Lord, I just pray you come a minister now, in Jesus' name. I've just, just give uh, I feel that image of the dog biting at the heels. Some of you that's happening, but you're you're kicking yourself and wondering why it's not getting any better. Right, so you get into self-punishment, verbal, mental, physical. You think it's it's not working? Yeah. You've got to kick the dog. There's no point kicking yourself if a dog's attacking you. Yeah. The gospel teaches us that we shouldn't have any illusions about ourselves. So spending hours bewailing, wo am I. There is a place for mourning over our sin, definitely. But by getting trapped in that, it's not good. And we need to be able to do what Jesus did in the wilderness and just quote scripture, you know, and fight and stand. So help us in it, Lord, I pray. I pray through any here in this room, Lord, who have never known the joy of sins forgiven, never known the joy of of new life in Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would just be touching hearts and minds right now, that you would be bringing your kindness in that would lead them to repentance. That you'd be showing, revealing the full picture, the full glory of the cross and all that it means, the victory over sin. The resurrected, living, risen Jesus as our King forever. I pray we bring in faith and gifts of repentance all around the room, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.